I am so, so sorry, but I promise you that if you will come back tomorrow night, that I will not hold you this long, okay? Tomorrow night. I know, but some people do have to work tomorrow. Let me say this. Every time we conduct this series, Thursday night is the longest night of the whole series. Now, I didn't tell you that because I wanted you to show up. (laughs) But I also can tell you it only happens once. So what we're experiencing tonight will not be characteristic tomorrow, Saturday or Sunday. Okay? Is everyone here? I want to make sure everyone's back. Thanks. Let's have a word of prayer. We're still missing a few people. Is there, is there anybody back there in the refreshment section? Okay. Well, why don't you check while I'm saying prayer so they can be in here for the meetings. Thanks for being willing to do that. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to lift up your name tonight, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of our lives. Father, your goodness is so vast. Your acceptance is so great. Lord, may we truly begin to see that as it truly is. Open our eyes, Lord. Heal our hearts. In your precious name we pray. Amen. When we talk about spiritual fulfillment, everyone has their hand out for the next session? When we talk about spiritual fulfillment... What God really wants to bring you into is not a state of activity, but a state of rest. I'm not saying you won't be doing things for God. But all of that activity will be the result of resting in Christ. What I mean by that rest is, does anyone remember when you accepted Jesus for the first time? Do you remember all that psychological and emotional torment that was in you previous to that? And you accept Christ as your Savior, and there's this psychological and emotional... How many remember that? Anyone remember that? Don't you wish everybody could experience that? In Hebrews 4, Paul talks about this. It says, therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message which they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. See, the gospel was proclaimed to those folks in the Old Testament as well as the New. How many remember that from Tuesday nights? But Paul's showing something here that when they heard the gospel, how did they respond? Did they believe it? They rejected it. It says the the message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with what? But notice what happens if it is combined with faith. If once you hear the gospel, you believe it. What does it produce? Rest. Do you see the formula that Paul is is, is prescribing? Have you experienced that in a very real way in your own life? When you hear the gospel, and by the way, do you have the freedom to believe it or not believe it? And no matter how true it is, if you don't believe it, will it change your experience? No, not if you don't believe it. But if you do believe it, will it change your experience? It doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't make it any more true. God is love. Amen. Jesus is the savior of the world. Amen. He's the savior of all men, especially them that believe. Amen. That is the gospel. And it's done. You can't change that. Your faith doesn't make it more true. But your faith does give you what? Rest in that truth. Are you with me tonight so far? Paul's saying, now we also, we who have believed, we enter into that rest. Just as God said, they shall never enter into my rest. Just as surely as those who don't believe don't experience rest, those who do believe will. How many are thankful for that? says, they shall never enter my rest yet, and I love this, 
Yet his work has been, what does it say? Finished since the creation of the world. What work? Are you sure? Look in your grace section. Look a little ways down. Do you see Matthew twenty-five thirty-four? Not just creation. It says the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From when? Oh, how long has this kingdom been prepared? From the very beginning. Is that part of the gospel? Yes. Look at the next one. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before when? Verse 3 says they chose us to be holy and blameless and perfect before him in love. Did God recreate us a perfect creation in Christ? Yes. And you have a choice today. Are you going to live in the identity that you've created for yourselves or in the identity of what Jesus created for you? Do you understand that? What is your picture of you? Is it what you see according to how you've lived or is it what God sees according to how Jesus lived? Do you see the difference? Which identity are you going to grab onto? When did he choose us in God? When did he create this for us? Before when? Yes. Look at Revelation 13, 8. It says the lamb was slain from when? Now, I know Jesus was crucified historically 2000 years ago. But when did he promise to come and be slain? Before the foundation of the world. How much of God's work was finished from the very beginning? All of it. Just creating plants and trees. Everything had been completed for humanity. Can you see that? From the foundation of the world. What he's saying here is, listen, if a person isn't experiencing rest, it's not because there's more work for God to do before they can rest. It's not because there's more work that they need to do before they can rest. Have you met Christians like that who felt like that? There was something left for them, some part for them to play in their own salvation. Have you met those? The gospel is it. Is what? Finished. Finished. And it's been finished for how long? From the foundation of the world. And if you will believe that, that your salvation is a completed act, and God is giving you that simply as a gift by His grace, if you will truly believe that, you will what in that gift? You'll rest in it rather than trying to accomplish it. Do you see what Paul's saying tonight? Yet, do you know what the proof is that it's been finished from the foundation of the world? It says, for somewhere he has spoken. I love the way that works. I wish I could get away with that today. When Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, they didn't have chapter and verses in the Bible back then. Today, if I said, if I was going to quote the Old Testament, I'd probably have to give you chapter and verse. Isn't that true? If you agree, say yes. But Paul didn't have to do that. All he had to do was say, for somewhere it was spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God, what's that word? He rested. Circle that word rest. He rested from all his work. How much of his work? How much? What's the proof that all of his work has been finished from the foundation of the world? Because somewhere it says that on the seventh day, God rested from how much of it? All of it. Now, where do we know this to be from? Genesis. Now, we're going to read that in just a moment. But I want you to look over there in the grace section. Do you see Isaiah forty twenty eight? This is Paul's point. Isaiah forty twenty eight in the gray section? Gray section? It's faint, yes. You can thank Kinko's for that. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator. That's the Genesis God, correct? The Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not become what? Why would a God who doesn't ever grow weary or tired rest? Do you understand the point that Paul is making here? See, you and I, we rest for totally different reasons. 
When we're working on a project, we rest when we get tired, don't we? Whether the job's done or not, we rest when we get worn out. But Paul's saying God rested and he doesn't get weary or tired. What's the only other reason why God would rest from his work if he never gets weary? It's done. Are you with me? The fact that Genesis says that on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. That is proof that everything needed for you to get into the kingdom has been accomplished. The kingdom has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God wants you to believe and enter in. How many are thankful for that tonight? This is a key to spiritual fulfillment. Do you know why most people don't experience spiritual fulfillment? Because deep in their heart, they're still behavioralists. They think there's something they still need to do. And don't get me wrong, if you really fall in love with God, your life will be full of activity for Him. Are you with me? But it won't be, you won't be doing things for Him because there's still more to do. You'll be doing things because He has done so much for you already. Do you see the point? It is a rest, it's an assurance, it's a peace that your standing with God doesn't need to be worried about. It's done. And what is the proof of that? What's the proof that it was all finished? He rested. Let's go back and read that. Genesis 1. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. There was an evening in the morning, a sixth day, and the heavens and the earth were finished. All of the host of them. But notice it wasn't just about creation. It was also about our redemption. Are you with me? Do you remember the verses we've read so far? He says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then it says God did something else. Not only did he finish, not only did he rest. What did he do? He blessed the seventh day. And what? What does hallowed mean? He makes it holy because on it he had what? Why does he say the seventh day is holy? Because that's the day God what? And what does it matter whether he rested or not? Why is that significant enough to make a day holy to commemorate it? Why is the rest of God so important that he wants us to celebrate it? That he wants us to not forget it? Why does he want to celebrate his rest? Because it is a strange thing when God rests. It's only happened twice in human history. And both times on a Friday, he was saying it is what finished. The first one was that creation. The second one was when on the cross. And did he rest on the seventh day in both stories? Isn't that interesting? Why? Because it is finished. Wow. He says he blessed the seventh day and what? He hallowed it. He made it holy. How did he make that day holy? Because the God who never grows weary or tired. He rested on that day. And he hopes that we will catch the meaning of that. That whatever he was doing previously, it's done. And it's yours as a gift. Isn't that powerful? How many are thankful for that? We serve a good God. Amen. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. In Exodus 16, let me give you some background. The Israelites were coming out of Egyptian slavery. They had lost almost everything that was part of their heritage. They didn't have the ability to self-govern. You know what's interesting? God doesn't give them the Ten Commandments until Exodus 20. We are four chapters before that. Are you with me? Before he gives them anything, do you know what he gives them? If God had given them the Ten Commandments first, what would they have thought? Have you met people that are infatuated with the Ten Commandments today? Are most of those people resting? They're doing. If God had given them the Ten Commandments first, what would he have done? What, what, what would the Israelites have done? Well, this must be what God wants us to do so we can earn our acceptance with him. Isn't that what they would have thought? 
But before he gives them the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he first gives them something in Exodus 16. Notice it. It says, he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a what? A Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left. Keep it until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is the what? Sabbath. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be how much? Why was he doing this? This was with the manna. Why was he giving them a double portion on Friday and miraculously preserving it? It had spoiled every other day when they tried to keep it, did it not? Why was he miraculously preserving it on Friday? So they could rest on the seventh day. Why? Because before he gave them the commandments, what did he want to remind them of? Exodus 16, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather anyways. But they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread. For two days on the sixth day, remember every man, remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the what? Why was he trying to get them to be introduced to this concept of resting themselves on the seventh day? Because when they would rest on the seventh day, what would that remind them of? That God had what? That God had rested. God had rested on that day too. Would there be an association there? And that if they were rested, then if God had rested, it would be proof that God had done what? He had finished something. And if God had finished something, all he's requiring them to do is what? Live by faith in that finished work. And then what would they experience? And would they be safe if they're resting in God's finished work to be given the law to? Yes, then they can be given the law like we received it on Tuesday night. Do you remember that? Where it's not as a means of a way to earn salvation, but it's a means as a way of experiencing abundant life now. Did you hear that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Before God gave them the law, he was smarter than that. He knows how human beings are. You give us a list of things to do and what will we do? We'll do it. We'll try our best. We'll spend the rest of our days. And so before God even dared lay out a law... The very first thing he gives to the Israelites is the Sabbath. Why did he give them the Sabbath? To remind them of the gospel so that they would have rest, spiritual rest first. Isn't that amazing? We serve a smart God. What most people don't know is that on the cross, the history of the creation week was repeated. It wasn't altered one bit. On Friday, the sixth day, what did God say there? Do you remember? Three words. It is what? Finished. And then, what did he do on the seventh day again? He rested in the grave. Have you ever wondered why he was in the grave for three days? Why didn't he just die and pop back out? Because he was wanting to take the Sabbath and now invest it with the meanings of redemption, not just creation. Do you see what I'm saying? That he wanted to show them that it's not just creation that you're resting on the Sabbath for. It's Calvary that you're resting on the Sabbath for. In Acts 13, notice what it says. On the Sabbath day, this is Acts. This is after Calvary. It says, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out... The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Was Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel to them? Yes. And they were saying, preach to us this the next Sabbath. The next Sabbath came and nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the... Now, the reason, before you flip, the reason I bring this verse out is because, number one, it shows us something, that even after the cross, what day were Paul and Barnabas worshiping on? Why? Because they believed they were still under the law? 
It's because they saw in the Sabbath still a reason to rest. What was that reason? Creation? It was redemption. It was the cross. Did they see that imagery again? And notice carefully, some people will say, no, Herb, the reason that they're worshiping on the Sabbath here in the synagogue is because they're trying to reach the Jews. And if you're trying to reach the most amount of Jews on any given day of the week, which day of the week are you going to try to do it on? Talk to me. Sabbath, because where are they? They're all in the synagogue. If you want to talk to them all, show up there. Some people will say that's the only reason why Paul and Barnabas were keeping the Sabbath. But I want you to flip to the next verse. Remember, at the end of that verse, who did it say that Paul and Barnabas were turning to? So who are they now trying to reach? Three chapters later, Acts 16. It says, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Hebrew colony. Is that what it says? Oh, so this is the Gentiles now. Are you with me? They're not reaching out to Jews. It says, we were staying in the city for some days. What were they doing there? Preach the gospel. And it says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of what? Prayer. They're reaching out to Romans, to the Gentiles, and yet they're still keeping which day? Which means in Acts 13, they were not worshiping on the Sabbath, celebrating the Sabbath for evangelistic reasons, but for personal reasons. Are you with me? Because in Acts 16, there's no reason why they should be keeping the Sabbath evangelistically. Matter of fact, it says they did it personally. They left the city when the Sabbath came to find a place where they could what? Where they could pray. Because what did they want to celebrate? The rest of God, his finished work. Some will say, well, Herb, really? Historically, did you know that all Christians understood what I'm sharing with you tonight up until 300 years after Christ's death? It's true. Look at Colossians 2. It says, therefore, Paul had just explained that our sins had been forgiven. All of our dead had been nailed to the cross. And it says, therefore, because of the great gospel, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath. What? No one's to act as your judge in regards to this. See, let's put some background. How is the Sabbath to be celebrated? Did you know that? Do you know this? In in Nehemiah 8, look in your gray section. It says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is what? Holy. Now, we're on the gray section. Now, was the Sabbath a day that God had made holy? Yes. How were holy days to be kept? It says, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. Then he said to them, go, eat of the what? Drink of the what? Sweet and send portions to him who has nothing. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went away to drink and to eat and to send portions and to celebrate a great what? Festival. How was the Sabbath celebrated? Not what the Jews turned it into in Jesus' day. Are you with me? How was it originally intended to be celebrated? It's a festival. It was like many of our holidays today. Are you with me? That's why we call them holidays. It comes from that root holy day. It was like a holiday. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. What are you celebrating on that day? What's it like when you have to work on Christmas? It's a bummer. Do you get to celebrate as much? Wouldn't it be cool if you were guaranteed Christmas off every year? Why was God asking them not to work on the Sabbath? Okay, 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 no. No, not a physical standpoint. It's not what I'm looking for. Because if you're working, can you eat the fat and drink the sweet and celebrate what happened on that day historically? If you've got to work on the 4th of July, do you remember what happened on that day historically? You may remember it, but do you get to celebrate it to its fullness? And what would happen if every week you were celebrating by eating the fat, drinking the sweet, not working, celebrating, eating the fat, drinking the sweet, celebrating how God had rested? What would you be reminded of on a weekly basis? It is finished. You don't need to be doing anything to earn your salvation. It's done. Just accept it as the free gift it is. What a beautiful gift. Amen. Wow. 
And so let me tell you what was going on in the Colossian church. The Gnostics were stealing in, not the Jews. That was in Galatians. In Colossians, it was a different issue. The Gnostics were stealing in. And early Gnosticism believed that the soul was holy and the body was evil. And so in order to redeem the soul, you needed to persecute the body. That's where the monks got it in the Middle Ages was early Gnosticism. Does that sound familiar, monasticism? And so early Gnostics were coming in and forbidding the Colossian believers to experience any type of sensory pleasure. You needed to persecute the body. Well, what would happen when Sabbath came around? What would they be doing? Eating what? The fat. Drinking what? Celebrate. Would that include sensory pleasure? Would this be would this be something appalling to the Gnostics? Notice what he says. Don't let them judge you in regard to what you eat or you drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels. Gnostics believed in that. Taking his stand on visions which he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from which the entire body grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principle of this world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to their decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Does that sound like Gnosticism? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, which all refer to things destined to perish with the use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of what? These matters, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement in severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, don't pay attention to what these Gnostics are trying to convince you of. Severe treatment of your body. Do not taste. Do not touch. Do not handle. No sensory pleasure. Don't worship angels like they tell you to do. These are the teachings and commandments of men. Don't let them judge you in regards to what you eat or drink or your festivals or your Sabbaths. Christ has forgiven you. You are standing in His grace and His finished work. Celebrate that. Colossians 2 proves that the early Colossian church were celebrating the seventh-day Sabbath. They were be given a hard time for it. And Paul defends them and says, don't let them judge you over this. Keep celebrating. In Luke 4.16, many people don't realize this, but it says when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his, what's that word? Habit. Habit. He entered into the synagogue on the... Do you know the Christian church today is the only era of the Christian church which doesn't follow Christ's example in this? Christ himself celebrated what? The Sabbath. Did Paul celebrate it in Barnabas? Were the Colossian believers celebrating it? Look at the next one. It says in Revelation 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now hear me today when we hear the Lord's day, which day of the week do we hear first or seventh? We usually think of first, but you'll never find that definitive in the Bible. In Isaiah 58, look in your grace section. Isaiah 58, it says, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot away from your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of who? According to Isaiah, what's the Lord's day? Notice in, in Luke 6, Jesus said the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Greek word there for Lord is kurios. It means he, he to whom a person or things belongs. He is the Lord, the person to whom a thing belongs. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Whom does the Sabbath belong to? It's not the Jewish day. It's not your day. It's not my day. It's whose day? If John was saying I was in the spirit on the Lord's day to John in his time period, not ours, in his time period, which day was he in the spirit on the Lord's day, the seventh or the first? It would have to be the seventh because you know what history proves. Go back and read your history. Worshiping on the first day of the week did not enter into the Christian religion until guess which era? The beginning of the Dark Ages. 
I don't want to judge anyone's Christianity tonight. What day you go to church on or worship on does not determine how good of a Christian you are. Do you hear me tonight? Are you listening? We're not looking at people. We're looking at days. We're just looking at days historically. If you just look at history, the early church that finds its roots in Jesus, they celebrated on the seventh day because they saw in it gospel significance. In the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, the pagans were worshiping on the first day of the week, and it was just more convenient for everybody to meet on the same day. And so the church started meeting on the first day of the week, too. But you know what we lost? We lost not just a day. We lost the lessons of the day. Because today there's many first day keepers who are still working their way, trying to finish what's already been done. Are you hearing me tonight? John 19.30, this is what the apostles saw. It was, therefore, when he had received sour wine, he said, it is what? Finished. What day was this? Look at Luke 23. It was preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. And Matthew 28 says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. The first day of the week. What day do we say Jesus was resurrected on? Sunday. But notice what the scriptures say. That was the day after the Sabbath had what? Ended. It was after the Sabbath. You see, the apostles realized that what Calvary did was it took the whole weekend and it made it sacred. Let me show you what I mean by that. Friday evening when Jesus was dying on the cross... The disciples, they would end their work on that Friday evening. They would finish up their labors in symbol, in recognition of how Jesus had finished his. And they would rest on that Sabbath in honor of how Christ had rested in the tomb from their finished redemption. And on that first day of the week when Jesus resurrected, they honored that too. Do you know how they resurrected? They came out of the Sabbath of rest into a work of livelihood to help and bless those who are around them. Now hear me. Tonight I know we have folks from all different backgrounds tonight. There's nothing wrong with going to church on the first day of the week. Are you hearing me tonight? The Bible is not concerned with what Christianity is doing these days. The Bible's concerned with what Christianity has forgotten these days. It's not what we're doing that's wrong. It's what we're not doing that's wrong. You see, what we're not doing is celebrating the Sabbath. The apostles did it. The early Christian fathers did it. It never stopped until the Dark Ages. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 4 Paul says in preaching the gospel, he says, but to the one who does not what? But believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Is that the gospel? Do you know where he's quoting from? Do you know where he borrowed that language from? Look in your grace section, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, what does it say? Do no what? Why did God ask us to physically not work on the seventh day? To remind us that every day spiritually we are not to work, but to believe on him who justifies the ungodly. Even the way we celebrate the Sabbath is a symbol of how we're saved. Not through working, but through what? Yes, and through resting. Through resting. Isn't that what we do on the Sabbath? We stop working and rest. How do you become saved? Stop working and rest. Isn't that how we become saved? You see, in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does the word Sabbath mean? Rest. 
Do you see how they're intertwined? The Sabbath was to be a weekly reminder of the gospel, that it's finished. Don't work. Rest in it by faith. Do you see that? And how do we celebrate that? By not working physically and celebrating that finished work by eating the fat, drinking the sweet, and making that day special. What a gospel lesson, amen? Hebrews 4, let's come back to this because we started in Hebrews 4. I want us to end in Hebrews 4 just briefly. It says, it still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again said in a certain day, saying, today, when a long time afterwards he had spoke through David, he said, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. Now understand his argument here. Let me explain it to you. You see, he was trying to get the Hebrews, whom he was writing to, to enter into this rest. How many agree? Say yes. But the Hebrews were saying, Jesus doesn't give us rest. Joshua did. And what they meant by that was Joshua had brought them into the promised land, where they were no longer wandering. They had a home of their own. He gave them rest. Do you see that so far? Are you with me? But the rest that God wanted to give Israel was not a piece of real estate. Are you with me? It was this rest right here that Jesus came to give. Paul was saying you can have rest in Jesus. The Hebrews were saying we don't need Jesus rest. Joshua gave us rest. David, Paul's argument is if David, sorry, if Joshua gave you rest, Why is David, who was the king, way after Joshua had brought them in, still calling for them to enter into it if they had entered into it through Joshua? Do you see his arguments? If David, why, David's saying, today if you will not harden your hearts, enter in. If Joshua had given them rest, read it with me, God would not have later spoken of another day. Do you catch what he's saying? When did God speak of another day for them to enter into God's rest? Who spoke of it? Who did he call them to that in? Who did he call them to that through? Are you with me tonight? Oh, listen to what's being said. Whom was, according to Paul, we're talking about two people. Three people. Joshua. David. And who? Jesus. Whom did the Israelites say had given them rest? Joshua. Who does Paul say had given them rest? And what's his proof? David. David is still calling for them to enter into rest when he's king in the new piece of real estate that Joshua led them into. Do you catch his point? If Joshua had really given them rest, Paul's argument is, why is God through David still calling them to enter in? You know what that's proof? That there still remains a rest for us to enter into. That's why he says there remains then. And I love this. I love this. He says there remains then a what? You know what's interesting? Here he's not talking about a day of a week. He's saying there remains this rest. There remains this rest, but you know what he calls this rest? A Sabbath rest. Now hear me. Is there a physical rest one day a week? And is that called the Sabbath? And is there a spiritual rest that we have in Christ? And the greatest proof that the Sabbath is a symbol, the physical Sabbath is a symbol of the spiritual rest that we have in Christ, is that Paul himself refers to the spiritual rest as the Sabbath rest as well. Do you see how he links the two? There remains a... And would that have, would that have rung bells to the Hebrews? That what you have in Jesus is a Sabbath. Would that have meant something to them? A rest where no work is to be done. Would that have brought up gospel lessons to them? This is why Paul kept the Sabbath, because even though he was living in the New Testament, no longer under the law, was there an intrinsic, not imposed, was there an intrinsic gospel significance to the Sabbath still, even though they were no longer under the law? Some people accuse me of living in the old covenant because I celebrate the Sabbath. But I don't celebrate the Sabbath because the law told me not to or to do it. 
I celebrate the Sabbath because of the intrinsic blessings in the Sabbath under the new covenant. Are you hearing me today? Because I believe that my salvation was finished from the foundation of the world. And he echoed that call at Calvary. And on both accounts, he rested on the seventh day. And I will rest with him on that day in celebration of all that he has done for me. Because he is my God and I love him. And that's why we celebrate the Sabbath. Matthew 24. When he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Jesus said, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What time period are we talking about here? This is your and my day. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and for nursing mothers? Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the what? You know what this verse reveals? That when Jesus was talking about the end of the world, he still expected his people to be worshiping on the Sabbath. Do you see that? And some will say, no, 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 Herb. this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Look at the very next phrase. Pray that it not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then, why not on the Sabbath? For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never be equaled again. Does that sound like the destruction of Jerusalem or does that sound like the end of the world? Do you see that? The destruction, yes, I believe that Matthew 24 has a dual application. But Matthew 24 was not, but the destruction of Jerusalem was not suffering like it never been and never would be. He's talking about the end and he's saying, pray that your flight will not be on which day? Did Jesus know there would be a falling away? Did Jesus know that the Sabbath would be lost in that falling away? But did Jesus see that people would begin to understand the gospel again, even after the works program the Middle Ages put us on? Did Jesus see that the gospel and did Jesus see that the Sabbath would also begin to be understood again? Did he see that? Isaiah 66. Let me blow your mind one more time. It says, for just as the new heavens and the new earth. When are we talking about now? This age or the age to come? Which I will make will endure, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from what? All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. I hate to break it to you. But in heaven, we won't be celebrating on the first day. We'll be celebrating on the seventh. Now, that is, is that a put down to those who don't know? Is that a put down to those who worship on the first day? Is there anything wrong with going to church on the first day of the week? It's not what we're doing that's wrong. It's what we're forgetting that's wrong. Do you hear me tonight? Daniel seven twenty five. I want to come back to what we covered. People say, well, Herb, if this is all true, then why isn't the church celebrating the Sabbath the way the Bible says it should be? Because do you remember in Daniel 7.25, it talked about the Christian church gaining power? Remember we covered that tonight? Remember what it says. He will speak out against the Most High. He will wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in what? Is the Sabbath an issue of time? Is it an issue in law? And why don't we celebrate it today? Because it was changed for the Christians in the dark ages under this power. I want to read to you. Russ, would you go grab me that stuff? And I want to read to you just a few phrases. Now, this is not Bible. This is from all other churches. And I want you to understand what this is saying. Just be in there. Just grab them and be in the back ready. I'm going to give you guys a gift tonight before you go. Just read it. Let's just go through it quickly because we've got to end. We've got to let you out of here. I promise I will not hold you this late again. It says, start from the back and come forward, please. Go to the back and just, just wait until I call you. It says, we observe, we'll just read it with, well, follow along with me. It says, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday. Because the Catholic Church and the Council of Laodicea, 364 AD, transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. It said, had she, the Catholic Church, not power. Once again, it's not about Catholic or Protestant. Do you hear what I'm saying? These phrases say Catholic, but that's the only church there was back then. Are you hearing me? This isn't Catholic bashing. I want to be very clear. I do not hate Catholics, okay? There are many Catholics out there that are better Christians than I'll ever be. Got it? But that's the only church there was when this was going on. This is the Christian church, so you can put that in its place. It says, she, the Catholic Church, not had that power. 
It says she would not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day of the week, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. It says Sunday is a Catholic institution. Its claims to observance can be defended only on Catholic principles. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, there's not a single passage that warrants the transfer of the weekly publish public worship from the last day of the week to the first. And we can look at those passages that some people claim do say that. There's eight of them where the, where the first day of the week is mentioned in the New Testament. And what you'll find in all eight of them, never once does it talk about a Sabbath being changed. This, whoever this guy is writing this article in the Catholic press is correct. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, there's not a single passage that warrants the transfer of the weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. The Baptists agree. They say there is no scriptural evidence of a change of the Sabbath. Sabbath institution from the seventh day to the tenth day. The Congregationalists agree. It said it is quite clear that however rigidly or devotedly we may spend Sunday, we are not keeping the what? The Sabbath. It says many believe that Christ changed the Sabbath, but from his own words we see that he came for no such purpose. Jesus didn't change the Sabbath. He invested it with even more meaning, did he not? Because he rested on that rest day. It says those who believe that Jesus changed the Sabbath base it only on a supposition. You ask folks, well, why do we celebrate on Sunday now? Most people say because of the resurrection. And don't get me wrong, is this resurrection worthy of celebration? Yes, but you don't rest on a day that Christ came back to life. Do you hear me? That's that's an oxymoron. You rest on the, the rest day is the day that God rested on. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're going to celebrate the rest day, you rest with him. If you're going to celebrate the resurrection, go to work with him. Do you see the difference? We may change. It says we have made the change from the seventh day to the first day, from Saturday to Sunday, on the authority of the one holy Catholic apostolic church of Christ. That's the Episcopal church. Once again, it is well to remind Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, all other Christians that the Bible does not support them anywhere in their observance of Sunday. Sunday is an institution of the Roman Catholic Church, and those who observe it as a day observe a commandment of the Catholic Church. We're not, we're not putting down, please don't hear me, I am not putting down other people's Christian experience. We're looking at a day and where it comes from. Just looking at history. On one side, a day comes from that three and a half prophetic years. On the other side, there's the day that Christ kept in his three and a half years. Deuteronomy 4.2, God warns us. He says, you must not add. You must add nothing to what I command you and take nothing from it, but keep the commandments of Yahweh, your God, just as I lay them down for you. Why did he not want them monkeyed with? Because what did he invest in in those commandments? What did he place in them? They were lessons of the gospel. They were meaningful lessons. And if we change what he's laid down, do we lose some of those lessons? Ezekiel 20.20. What is the greatest lesson? Keep my Sabbaths holy. Let them be a sign between me and you. That the people that may know that I am Yahweh, your God. He says, remember the Sabbath day. I'm going to add these three verses together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Number one, who made the Sabbath holy? All he asks us to do is what? Keep it. Keep it holy. It's holy. Keep it that way. Do you see that? In Genesis 2, it says, on the seventh day, having finished his task, he rested from all his work and he blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy. Did did he make it holy according to this? But notice, why did he make it holy? This is the point of all these verses here. Ezekiel 20, verse 12, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them to show that it was I, the Lord, not who makes a day holy, but who also makes, what does it say? Them holy. Number one, did God make us holy as well as a day? When did he do that? It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Are we holy and perfect in Jesus? Did he make us that way? That it's not we who make ourselves holy. It's him. Do you catch that? He calls us to believe that and just rest in it. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Has God made you holy in Christ? 
Has he done that? And just like the Sabbath, just as he made a day holy, that is proof that he has made you holy. And when you're celebrating a day that's been made holy, you're remembering that he made you holy too. That you can rest in that gift. The reason I bring this up is this is a sign that he is our God. That's what Exodus 20 says. The Sabbath was to be a perpetual sign that he is our God. He has made us holy and we are resting in his work. Hear me. If a Christian is going to keep Sunday holy, he first has to what? He can't. If you're going to keep something holy, it has to be first what? Made holy. And there's no place in the... Do you understand what I'm saying? Did God make the Sabbath holy? And all he asks us to do is what? Keep it that way. If we're going to keep Sunday holy, it first has to be what? And is there any place in the Bible where God made the first day of the week holy? So if it's going to be first made holy, who has to do it? No. God hasn't done it. Who has to do it if we're going to keep it holy? Man's going to have to make it holy. Does man, has, man, has man claimed to have made it holy? Hear me. God made a day holy to prove he could make us holy. And if man can make a day holy, if man can make a day holy, then he can also make himself holy. And nothing is a greater denial of the gospel. Did you hear the point that I'm making tonight? Why did God make a day holy? To prove that he could make us holy. And if we are going to keep Sunday as Christians today, then we must first make that day holy so we can keep it that way. And if we can make that day holy, then why stop at that? We can make ourselves holy too, according to the symbology. And nothing is a greatest, greater denial of the gospel because if I can make myself holy, I don't need his finished work. I can do it on my own. Whether a person understands this or not, Satan is clever. He wants us to, to, to worship on a day that is a denial of the gospel, not a celebration of it. Do you hear me tonight? I'm not putting down a Christian's experience. Are there good Christians that will be in heaven that worship on Sunday? Oh, yes. What we're talking about is not people. We're talking about a day and where that day comes from and what it stands for and why it has taken place in Christian history rather than the biblical Sabbath, rather than God's Sabbath. And in, in Acts 5.29, people say, well, Herb, but the rest of the church doesn't do this. Remember, I asked you, what if the rest of the church follows one? Will you follow Jesus instead? It's, the apostles believed this. They said we ought to obey God rather than who? Balaam understood this when talking about Israel. He understood that what God has blessed, he cannot what? Change. Did God bless the Sabbath? Can man change it? Matthew 15, it says, their reference for me is worthless, teaching for doctrines the commandments of who? Now, they can have a relationship with God and still go to church on Sunday. Are you hearing me? But what are they losing when they do that? Whether they understand it or not, they're losing the intrinsic blessings of the Sabbath and what it celebrates and its commemoration. Not because God's saying, I'm going to keep them from you. But because they're ignorant of them. And, I'm not, and I mean that in the most polite way. It's just they don't know. You ask a person why they keep Sunday, they don't know. And Satan would have it that way because the last thing he wants people to believe is that the work for saving their soul is done and all they need to do is rest in it by faith. That is the lesson he always tries to cover up, is it not? And he will do whatever he can to hide it. Jesus said in Mark 22:22, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for on account of for the benefit of mankind. Two points. It is not for the Jews. The Sabbath existed long before there was a Jewish nation, did it not? And it exists long after there's one. There still is one, but it's not the chosen one. It's here still with us today, and Jesus expects us to celebrate it in the end. But notice, not only is it for humankind, not just a race, it's also for the benefit of humankind. What is the benefit for humankind in the Sabbath? That they would remember the gospel. Can you see that tonight? It says, then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's his day. Do you have a day? That's yours? I do. 
October 6th. Write it down. Don't forget it. Send me a card. Have you ever had someone forget your birthday? Whether they meant to or not, have you ever had someone forget your birthday? How does it feel? This is God's day. It commemorates what he's done for us. And whether we mean to or not, when Christians forget it, it's his heart we're breaking, not not our own. I want to give you something tonight. Go ahead, Russ. Let's pass the rest of those out. I'm going to give you this and then I'm going to send you home, okay? I've held you way too long. I appreciate your patience. Be thankful the Apostle Paul is not with us today. Because he would preach till midnight, we're told, in the New Testament. But I'm not going to do that to you. We got behind schedule. To, that's right. We'll fall out of windows and I can't bring you back. At least not yet. That's right. At least I've never done it yet. I'm giving you a packet tonight I want you to take home with you. And I'm going to explain what the packet is. I'm going to send you on your way. As they're passing those out, some people will say, well, Herb, take your original handout with me that we've been working off of. On the back of it, some will say, well, Herb, how do we even know what the Sabbath is? I mean, the calendar's been changed. Well, it has been changed. But I want you to look. I put the actual calendar in there that has been changed. Do you you see October 1582? Do you see that there, everyone with me on that calendar, on your handout? The the calendar was changed, but I want you to notice how it was changed. Monday was the first. Tuesday was the second. Wednesday was the third. Thursday was the fourth. Ten days they had gotten behind. And so when the calendar was changed, what did they do? They skipped from the 4th to when? The 15th. Is everyone with me? Everyone, if you're with me, say yes. They skipped from the 4th to the 15th. All they did was change the numbers. That was the calendar change. Was Thursday still Thursday? Was Friday still Friday? Was Sabbath still Saturday? Do you see how it works? Was Saturday still the seventh day of the week? The order of the days didn't change. Just the number of them. It's the greatest atrocity that has ever been committed in human history. Second to the cross. Do you know why this is the greatest atrocity ever committed? Because which day did they skip? I've given you a hint already tonight. October 6th, my birthday. They left it out. Little comic relief. I wasn't alive in 1582. Thank the good Lord. But I want to show you that the U.S. Naval Observatory states that the weekly cycle has never been changed. The numbers of the month day have been changed. But the weekly cycle's never been changed. Jews today have been faithful through all the centuries. Which day is the Sabbath? It's the seventh day. It's Saturday. I want you to look first. What I want you to take home, you'll see it is finished. Addendum 1. Does everyone see that? Take that home. What that simply is, is no matter what church you belong to tonight, that's what your church says about it, about what we've talked about tonight. The next one is at Addendum 2. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, I hope, I'm trying my best to be unbiased. I hope you can see that. Addendum 2 is a history of the Sabbath's change, how it happened from historical sources. So you don't have to believe what I say. You can go back and read it yourself. You don't have to believe what I say. You can hear it from other churches. You can decide for yourself what you feel God's calling you to do. And the third thing is probably the best gift you'll get in this whole series. It's my favorite. It's taken me the longest to produce and procure. It was not created by me. It was created long before I was born by Reverend William Mead Jones, Doctorate of Divinity. I don't know who this guy was. I actually think he was a Seventh-day Baptist, but I'm not sure. But this guy did an incredible work, and this is his chart. We've provided it through our ministry. Normally, to acquire this chart, this is a $60 chart. I am giving it to you for free, my gift to you. (laughs) Three payments up, no. I'll explain to you what this chart does. This chart has many columns. On the left side... You'll see there are numbers. Do you see that? On the right side, there are numbers. Do you see that? I'll explain the one, those in a moment. 
What you need to understand is in the first column there, there's a language. It'll tell you what language it's referring to. In the second column, it'll tell you what that language calls a week. In the th- in the, and then in the next columns, it'll tell you what those languages call each day of the week. Do you see that so far? I want you to go all the way to the last page to 144. Use the column on the left. All the languages are numbered on the left. Go to number 144 on the left. What It's on the third page. One, what language is that? What do we call the week? Ooh, what do we call the first day? What do we call the second day? I'll go quickly. Third? Fourth? Fifth? Sixth? Seventh? We call it Saturday, do we not? Now, I want you to look at those numbers on the right. Do you see those? They only go to 108, and I'll tell you why. The only languages that are numbered in the right column are the languages that actually use the word Sabbath for Saturday instead of any other word. Do you understand what I mean? Like in Spanish, what is their word for Saturday? Sabado means Sabbath. 108 out of 160 languages do not use the word seventh day or Saturday. 108 languages recognize that Saturday is the Sabbath. Isn't that an incredible chart? Once again, I don't know who William Mead Jones was, but that is an incredible amount of work. That's yours as a gift. You can look at it, research it. Last thing I want you to do is take out this card with me. This I'm going to ask for back tonight. Don't take this home. This is for your benefit. It says, Lord, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior, and I want to thank you for both creating me and saving me through your shed blood at Calvary. If you'd like to express that to him tonight, just check that box. Will you do that? You're thanking him for being your Lord and your creator. And your Savior. The second one, it says, Lord, I see from the Bible that you intended your holy Sabbath day to be a perpetual, intimate commemoration between you and me, continually reminding me of your love for me and your finished gifts to me of my creation and salvation. I therefore would like to start celebrating your Sabbath day. If that's your desire to start doing that. And I want to share with you some some here tonight. I'm going to take a little bit of time tomorrow night and share with you how to truly celebrate it. Some of you here tonight have been aware of the seventh day, first day continuum. But we've been guilty of observing the Sabbath, not celebrating it. Do you understand what I mean by that? We've kept it the way the Jews were rebuked for keeping it in Jesus' day. We've not eaten the fat that day and drank in the sweets. Tomorrow night, I want to take you through some weather. Whether you've never heard about the Sabbath or you grew up with it, I'm going to take you through tomorrow night the biblical way for celebrating the Sabbath. And I promise you, it'll be new for 90% of you in this room, no matter what your background is. Whether you already knew about tonight's content or not. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time on that tomorrow night. I want to help you understand. If you would like to celebrate it, make sure you don't miss tomorrow night at the first part. And the second one, the third box, sorry, the third box says, Lord... This is the first time I've heard a presentation on your Holy Sabbath. I have some questions, but I'm open and I would like more information on the Sabbath. If you would like more information on that, then please check that box. Leave your name and we'll make sure I get you. I will make sure I get you information on this that will satisfy you. Whatever it is you would like. Uh, We have a bunch of information on it and I will provide that for you. Check off whichever box applies to you. Drop them off on the registration table on your way out. Once again, it is 945. And I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. I hate doing this to people. And I promise you, I will never do this again in this series. Okay? Tomorrow night, I will let you go early even. Okay, tomorrow night I'll let you go early. Tomorrow night will be the beginning of the Sabbath, and we can start celebrating it by getting out early. How's that? 
And then at the same time, I want to encourage you, be here for Saturday morning's presentations. We'll have two of them right here, Sabbath morning. Then Sabbath afternoon, we'll be having two presentations. And then we're going to close with that grand subject of financial freedom on Sunday afternoon. You don't want to miss that either. And so thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's pray, and then I will let you go. Thank you for being patient and gracious. I truly appreciate you. God bless you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you tonight, I want to thank you that you love us regardless of what day we worship you on. That you're a good God. And that you overlook when we just don't know or understand. But Lord, tonight we've seen that not only would the gospel become restored before you return. That everything that illumines or illustrates the gospel would also come back to restoration. That you saw your people in this time celebrating the greatest memorial of Calvary that you've ever given to us. Father, thank you for the Sabbath. But more importantly, Lord, thank you for the finished work that it commemorates. Thank you, God, for being my Savior. Thank you for dying on Calvary for me. Lord, may I truly cherish that the way it should be cherished. Lord, I believe with all my heart that every person here tonight, if you were standing before them right here instead of me, and you were asking them to keep the Sabbath, to celebrate it, that, Father, if you were here doing this, I, have, I, I believe that every person in this room, they love you, Jesus. They would say yes. Lord, tonight you have been here. Help every person here tonight to discern whether or not you're calling them to celebrate the Sabbath yourself. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen. God bless you. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you tomorrow night. Get out of here. Go home. Be safe.